Well, thank you for uh, uh, deciding to be a part of this worship time celebration. And uh, so I want to do something this morning. Uh, this is interactive time. Uh, we don't do this often, but we may, we may find that we actually enjoy it. Um, so this morning we're starting a new series, Signs. We're going to be looking at the, uh, the signs of who Jesus is, the, presented in the Gospel of John, the record of his life. If you have not already, this is a great time to start reading with us. Um, and if you know, you're thinking, you know, I've fallen behind, I did, just jump right back in where you were. It's okay. We're, we're reading through the Gospel of John as many times as we can this year. So uh, one chapter a day, get you done in 21 days. Um, one chapter every other day, get you done in 42. That's a month and a half. You're still, you're okay. So I just want to encourage you to do it. Um, in fact, you might be thinking, well, it's too late for February. Actually, it is not. If you start today and read one chapter a day, you can finish the Gospel of John before February's gone. So you're not behind. You're right on time. All right? So I want to encourage you to do that. But as part of that, today we're going to be talking about weddings. So let's talk about wedding receptions. Now, before I go any further, I do, I do want to just pause and recognize that uh, weddings are not always the happiest uh, things for, for us to talk about. There, there are always going to be uh, painful things uh, for all sorts of, talking about weddings can be painful for all sorts of reasons. And uh, I understand that. But they are part of life. And they are uh, something that uh, are unavoidable. I think every one of us has been to at least one wedding. Even the very youngest person in this room has been to a wedding, or a reception at least. Yeah, the baby in the room has been. Yeah, we start them little in there. Yeah. Uh, so please bear with me. If this is uncomfortable for you, um, I'm sorry. Please just bear with me, but we're going to talk about weddings today. So let's think about weddings and receptions, and particularly the dinner afterwards, right? Because from what I have seen from being a pastor, um, the dinner is really the most important or the most popular event of the day. You, you can expect about twice as many people at the hall as we're in the building for the wedding. And they will be sitting there waiting, wondering why is it taking so long? Mm -hmm. It's just the way people are. The dinner is important. So let's think about this for a minute. And if you don't say anything, we're going to be sitting here in silence. Mm -hmm. okay. And if you don't think I'm kidding, you know, able to be quiet, <laughs> I'll surprise you. So here's the first question. Who do the bride and groom invite to the party? Friends, family, exes. No, they don't invite their exes. I'm sorry. Uh, neighbors, coworkers, people who bring gifts. People who bring gifts, of course. Okay. Uh, what do people do at wedding dinners? Eat, drink, eat, drink, talk. talk. 
dance. Well, we hope not, but sometimes it does happen. You're right, Joe. Sometimes they get a little over, uh, over pickled. What? Over pickled, not pickled. Pickled. What? What do you expect to experience at a dinner, at a wedding dinner? Good food. Cake. Cake. Music. Music. Loud. Happy. And we don't do funeral dirges or you know the 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 the, the requiem type ma ma uh, mass classical. Yeah, no dirges. No, yeah, it's happy music. Uh, makes you want to kick up your heels unless you're me because you know that if I know that if I kick up my heels I'll be on the floor waiting for 911 to pick me up <laughs> So I just don't do that so Jesus and his uh, family his Jesus family and his friends went to a wedding dinner uh, one of his friends named John uh, was kind enough to record what happened at that party so uh, on the third day I'm going to pause right there to explain that real quick. Uh, on the third day, this is how close to the beginning of Jesus' uh, public ministry, his, his work, uh, as you can, this, John starts by giving us a blow-by-blow, day-by-day uh, list of what happened. On the first day, John the Baptist says to two of his disciples, as he sees Jesus walk by, Hey, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I know he's the Messiah because God told me that when I see the Holy Spirit descend like a dove on somebody I baptize, that that person is the Messiah. And I want you to know that was him. So on the first day, John the Baptist points out Jesus to two of his disciples. Those two disciples immediately get up and start following Jesus, and, and he gets nervous because, well, who knows what's going on when two guys that you don't know start following you around. So he turns around and says, what do you want? And he said, we just want to know where you live. <laughs> Jesus was cool. Me, I would be going, that's none of your business. But Jesus just says, okay, I'll show you. Uh, and so he takes them and they spend the day with him. Uh, second day, Andrew was one of those two guys. Uh, he had gotten his brother Peter to come and meet Jesus on the first day. And on the second day, Jesus decides he's going to go to a different area, a place in Galilee. And he finds a guy there named Philip and he invites him to come and be his disciple. And Philip uh, says, cool, just a minute. And he goes and finds a guy named Nathaniel. Day two, Jesus now has, if I have counted correctly, he now has five disciples. One of them, we don't know what his name is. Unless, you know, so there were two at the very beginning that found out about John. And then Andrew was one of those. And he added Peter. And then Jesus asked Philip. And then Nathaniel came along. That's at the end of two days. He's got five disciples. And on the third day, he goes to a wedding. On the third day, uh, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee, a little village. Nobody even knows where it is anymore. There's some guesses, but they don't know. Jesus' mother was there. 
And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Okay, nothing more normal or ordinary than weddings and wedding celebrations. Weddings happen every day, everywhere. It is a universal event. It's different in every culture, but weddings happen. It's something we do. Friends and family gather to celebrate, but right after it tells us that Jesus and his disciples were there with his mother, the wedding dinner took a sharp turn in the wrong direction. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now I was, I imagine, this is the way I imagine this, you don't, you don't have to imagine it, but I imagine that Jesus is there hanging out with his new disciples and his brothers, and they, his brothers say, uh-oh, here comes mom. Because <laughs> they see her coming across the hall, wherever they're at, or you know, wherever they're having the dinner, they see mom coming and they scatter. Because isn't that what guys do when they see mom coming? We, you know, okay. And so Jesus is left standing there, and she walks right up to him and goes, they're out of wine. And Jesus replied, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now, that sounds kind of abrupt and mean to us because, well, we don't talk like that. But basically, if we were to paraphrase it, he was saying, but ma'am, what do you want me to do about it? This is really, I'm just, you know, uh, this isn't the time. I wonder if he, he was thinking something like, Mom, I just started gathering followers. I got like five guys here, right? This is just, I, did, it, it said, I don't know what was going on in his mind, folks, but I do know this. If you could have seen, if Jesus had a to-do list, you know, if you could have peeked into his phone or whatever to find his to-do list, if you had found his to-do list for that day, the third day of his ministry, uh, you would not have seen perform first miracle at wedding dinner on the list. It wasn't there. And that's what he's saying to his mom. <laughs> it's not time. Now, I don't know what happened between that verse where he says, my hour has not yet come, and the next verse. But I'm kind of wondering if mom gave him the look. <laughs> Oh, by your laugh, I know you all know what the look is. Uh-huh. Moms can do that. Not only, do, not only do we scatter when they start walking across the hall toward us, you know, uh, but uh, we shake when they give us the look. His mother says to the servants, she didn't say anything more to Jesus. She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. <laughs> So then they just turn at him and go, okay. Nearby stood six stone jars, water jars, the kind that the Jews use for ceremonial washing, uh, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Wow. Six times 
20 is 120, 6 times 30 is 180. Those of you with calculators can check me out, but I did mine, and that's what they said. Okay, 120 to 180 gallons are what these jars hold. That's a lot of water. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. So can you imagine that you just pour, fill these jars all full of water? And the, the guy says, okay, dip some out and take it to the, the, you know, the master of ceremonies. And you dip it out, and what was water is now wine? I'm just curious. I, I, you know, again, so I wonder if any of them checked it first. Uh, yeah. yeah. What, I wonder if this is any good. I don't know. So they, they uh, servants knew what had happened, and Master of Ceremony has three tasted. He calls the the bridegroom aside and said, "Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink and really don't care what they're drinking anymore." Uh, that I just put that in there. I'm sorry, but you've saved the best till now. And then John concludes this. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs with which he revealed his glory and his disciples, all five of them, believed in him. I added the all five of them part. So just think about this with me for a moment. Uh, Jesus is hanging out, going to a wedding, dinner, Celebrating the reception with the bride and groom. He's got no plans to do anything special or spectacular on that day. And then Mary comes up and says, they're out of wine. You got to take it, care of it, fix it. So let's think about this for a minute. How did Jesus deal with an apparent interruption to his plans? Well, first of all, I think he probably did much better than most of... Well, okay. He did much better than I do with interruptions to my plans. Jesus, it looks as though Jesus saw that this interruption was actually a need and an opportunity to make God's love known on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I, I wish I could, you know, know all the dynamics of what went on in the conversation between Jesus and Mary. But something happened between Jesus saying, my time has not yet come. And, okay, guys, fill the jugs. I have an idea of what happened. But I do, t I knew... I'm pretty sure what didn't happen. Didn't, Jesus did not do this because Mary told him to do this. 
Mm -hmm. uh, can you be sure of that? Well, because Jesus didn't do anything. By his own words, he didn't do anything that his father didn't tell him to do. His heavenly father. And he couldn't have turned the water into wine just because he wanted to. Any more than you or I could turn water into wine. Unless the Spirit whispered in our ears, tell them to fill the jars. I'll take care of the rest. Okay, boss. See, this, I think, is the point of this, this passage, this sign of Jesus. Is Jesus is, was, was willing to go with the flow. In unveiling his redemptive plan, uh, because a few empty wine glasses and a potentially uh, embarrassed bride and groom. Jesus was willing to push the date of his opening night, so to speak, because someone was in need. He was ready to change his schedule, his to do list. Because somebody had a need. But what about us? Right? How should Jesus followers deal with an apparent uh, interruption to their plans? Well, this is a great time to ask a question like that. Uh, like, I can confidently say that in a world of billions of people, not a single one started 2020 last year with experienced global pandemic as one of the goals they had for the year. And yet, here we are, a year later, working our way through it. And I don't know about you, but we can hardly go through the day uh, without an interruption or two or three or four. Uh, so how are we supposed to deal with apparent interruptions to our plans? What about us? Well, here's the sermon in a sentence. Some interruptions uh, provide opportunities, but others produce distractions. I think it's important for us to understand this. Not, not every interruption is an opportunity for us to work with God to turn water into wine or whatever it might be. Uh, some interruptions are just downright plain distractions. Trying to get us off task, off target, away from what God wants us to do. Yeah. We human beings... Okay, I am going to confess for the entire human race here because I'm pretty sure it's true. We tend to go to extremes because we're lazy. Me too. We don't want to break a sweat if we don't have to. We don't want to think things through. We don't want to... See, some people decide that all interruptions must be divine appointments from God and if somebody 
comes across my path or something, something interrupts my plan or for what I was going to do for the day, uh, then it must be from God and I must drop whatever I'm doing and I must take care of this. Well, that would be fine if all interruptions really did provide opportunities. But not all of them do. Now, others uh, go to the other extreme and to believe that all interruptions are mere distractions because if God really wanted me to do it, He would have given me advance notice so I could have put it on my list for the day. And therefore, any interruption is obviously a distraction. So we set up our little rules. All interruptions are opportunities or all interruptions are distractions and then we know what to do. But the truth is some interruptions provide opportunities while others produce distractions. So what if it's not easy? What if he can't just give a black and white yay or nay, yes or no on these things? What if you can't just set up this kind of a principle? What are we supposed to do? If you, as you're looking at the life of Jesus, one of the things you're going to find is it almost seems like a long string of interruptions. He's going here, and somebody says, hey, please come do this for me. And he says, okay, and he starts going there, and then somebody else interrupts him. And, or, or he's trying to get away with his disciples, and they don't tell anybody where they're going. They cross the lake in their boat, and when they get there, there's this huge crowd who figured out what was going on and ran all the way around. And he goes, oh, well, we should feed these people. And the disciples are going, just tell them to go away. But here's the amazing thing. Whatever happened, whatever interruptions came, he turned them on their heads. It's like he interrupted the interruption. So a man comes up to him when he's going through town and the man comes up to him and says, please come heal my daughter. She's at death's door. And on the way, some woman touches him because she's got this problem that nobody can fix and she spent all her money trying to get it fixed. And he stops and has a conversation with her and he's no longer sooner finished talking to her. He dealt with her interruption by interrupting her problem. But... As he's finishing talking to her, the servants come up and tell the, the guy, forget it, your daughter's dead. And Jesus turns to her and goes, no, not really. She, you know, she's just asleep. Trust me. And he goes and he raises her. Talk about interrupting an interruption. Because no, nobody likes to make plans for a funeral, right? Every funeral is an interruption, no matter what. Even when you have a pretty good idea, it's coming. Every funeral is an interruption. 
And here's this guy, Jesus. He shows up when everybody's doing a wedding, uh, I mean, a funeral preparation, and he interrupts the whole thing and turns it into a celebration. Because it wasn't a deep for a funeral. Thousands of people greet you when you are expecting to get away and be alone by yourselves with, with your friends, and he feeds them off of a sack lunch. The ultimate interruption, they nailed him to a couple of pieces of wood outside Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha, the skull hill. Being crucified is a massive interruption. Being buried in a tomb is a big interruption. But then there was Sunday morning. And he interrupted the biggest interruption that we could ever face with his resurrection. See, sometimes it almost looks like Jesus went through life without a strategy, strategy but he did have a strategy. He did have a plan. He didn't have a to-do list necessarily like we do, but he had a strategy. And his strategy was simply this, obey obedience I will I will be obedient to whatever the Holy Spirit leads me to do whatever I see my father doing I'm going to do it's moment by moment obedience it was trusting loving obedience as he allowed the Holy Spirit to guide him and direct him it was abiding obedience as he lived in his relationship with his heavenly father and working so how can we discern the difference between an opportunity and a distraction? Okay, let's just be honest. We usually think Jesus had an unfair advantage. I mean, after all, he was the Son of God. So he really probably doesn't understand what it's like to be human. Except that you're forgetting the other side. I don't know, the other... Yeah. He was also the Son of Man. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% human. And when he lived and walked on this planet as Jesus the carpenter from Nazareth, he did it like you and I do it. Well, how did he do all those things that he did? He allowed the Holy Spirit to fill him, guide him, direct him, and help him. And he lived in obedience to whatever. So when the Holy Spirit whispered into his ear, after his mom gave, maybe possibly gave him the look, as, as mom was giving Jesus the look at the wedding dinner, the Spirit was whispering in his ear, you know, this is a good time to make some wine. Okay. This is a good time to stop and talk to a woman who's been sick for years and comfort her and assure her of her healing. This is a good time to go give a little girl back to her mom and dad. This is a good time to take some little kid's sack lunch and turn it into a meal for thousands of people. This is a good time to get up it's Sunday morning, Jesus. 
I don't know if the Spirit actually said this, but I think he might have said, could have said something like, you've had a long enough nap. Wake up. We've got stuff to do. Maybe that's just the way my mom woke me up. I don't know. How do we make the most of these opportunities? And how do we sidestep the distractions? I think we would only can do it, can only do it, if we do what Jesus did and have a deep, dependent connection with the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit can help us to notice the needs around us that open the door for God's love to flow into this world. But it isn't easy. Because you can't just go, all, all, all interruptions are distractions or all interruptions are opportunities. You have to go into every single moment asking, what's next? What do you want me to do now, Spirit? Holy Spirit, guide me, direct me. Show me what's going on. Is this an interruption that's an opportunity or is this an... Yeah. That person I just noticed. Do you want me to say something to them or just pray for them? Or would. Oh! See, I think that the Holy Spirit gave Jesus direction. And I think as we're going to continue to work our way through John's record in Jesus' life, you're going to come to the same conclusion the Holy Spirit it led him and worked through him. So here at the very beginning of, of this series, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this third day gone to the wedding, whoops, they ran out of wine day. If you're interested in experiencing Jesus' kind of connection with the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to pray with me and invite the Spirit to guide you to opportunities and away from distractions. So let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. Come like a gentle rain. Refresh, renew, revitalize. Come like blazing fire. Inspire, enlighten, encourage. Come like a mighty wind. Move us, motivate us, manage our lives. Come like rolling waves. Carry, cleanse, change. Come, Holy Spirit, we 
He desperately needs you. Come Spirit, come breath of heaven, bring closeness to you. Bring us together, bring tenderness into all of our conversations and actions. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, heavenly love. Fill us with your righteousness, peace, and joy. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you.